Tonight's reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 to 14, and can be found on page 1167 of the Church Bibles. This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others, since you were demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him in our dealing with you. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test? And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not so that people will see that we have stood the test, but so that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong, and our prayer is that you may be fully restored. This is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thanks, Sarah, very much. Um, Hopefully you have one of these cards, which has got verse 14 there on it, our verse for 2019, which is why we're looking at that now. And the reason we chose that was because of what's on the other side of the cards about our wildly important goal for 2019, uh, which is about small groups. When we sat down as a staff to, uh, uh, many months ago to uh, uh, work out what we really thought it was, would be good or to suggest to the PCC what we thought would be really good for us to uh, focus on for 2019, um, we came up with those four words along the bottom, belong, grow, care, serve. And then we thought, actually, all those relate to small groups, which is why we then said, well, let's have a focus on small groups. The thing is, when you're trying to come up with a verse for the year which links in with small groups, we couldn't find one. So, uh, um, so we've got, so we're looking at, um, at verse 14 here, which does of course uh, relate to the things that we do in small groups. But do take these cards home. Uh, do, uh, uh, we'll be using obviously the, uh, um, the verse at the end of the service and uh, we'll be referring back to that through the year. And also we'll be saying quite a lot more about small groups and, uh, and what's on the other side of the card. So do take that there. But we're going to look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 14. Now, um, many Christians know this verse. It's known as the grace. And um, uh, many of us uh, don't know where it comes from. 
And some of us, uh, I would guess, perhaps don't know that it's in the Bible at all. Um, but it's one of the most frequently quoted verses in the Bible, isn't it? And uh, it's our verse for this year. Um, but actually, you know, when you sit down and you study it, and you try to work out a little bit more about it and see it in the context, it's not an easy verse at all. And then when you look at the, when you look at it, for instance, just in chapter 13 there, you begin to think, ah, really, that's quite a difficult situation that Paul's uh, addressing there. So, uh, uh, so what is this about? What is this verse about? Why is it that it's not that easy? Well, I think the reason, the answer to that is just simply because, uh, well, there's the verse itself. And the thing is that when he writes that, he's addressing a very difficult situation. And he's, uh, and he's thinking there about what to pray for those who don't get on with you. What to pray, what to think about, what to wish, what to hope for, what to work for uh, when you're thinking of those who don't get on with you. When you're thinking of those who don't think you're up to much. When you're thinking of those who think that you're a bit of a waste of space, maybe. Because that's the situation in Corinth. That's the situation that they are. Basically, the guys in Corinth were fairly self-opinionated. They had big problems with the Apostle Paul. They thought he wasn't up to much. They, in fact, some of them were saying he wasn't even really an apostle. And they were thinking, well, he's pretty unimpressive in all sorts of ways. And now here he is signing off his letter to them. And this is what he prays for them. So he's writing to the church there. And he's saying, look, if you look at verse 1, for instance, this is my third visit to you. And... Um, uh, their history is not great, frankly. Uh, the people in the church in Corinth, they didn't like Paul very much. They're, they didn't respect him. Some of them are saying, well, he's not really an apostle. He's not worth listening to. They're saying he's really very unimpressive. I mean, surely if he was an apostle, he'd be doing all sorts of miracles and things. And he's not. Not with us. So what's going on? And uh, he was very concerned for them. Their lifestyle's not great. Just have a look at verse 2 there. Already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. And he's planning on a third visit here. And then if you just glance um, just a little bit above that on page 1167 and on verse 20, towards the end of verse 20, he says, I fear there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder. Stephen pointed that out to us this morning, didn't he, as he was speaking on this. And uh, uh, they're demanding proof that Christ is speaking through Paul, because they really don't think uh, that uh, Christ is speaking through him. Look at verse 3. Since you're demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. And uh, so at the very least, I would say things are actually at a pretty difficult, a rather strained situation between Paul and the Christian church in Corinth. They're not getting on with him. There are lots of questions about his viability. So um, I don't want to put a downer on New Year's celebrations and hopes of 2019 and so on. Um, uh, but the Bible forces me to ask you how you get on with other people here. I mean, it's two ways. Are there people here who you reckon perhaps don't respect you? And maybe are you someone in that kind of situation where you're thinking, well, they're a bit of a waste of space, aren't they? I mean, you wouldn't say it, but quietly you might be thinking that. Or what about in, say, in KO, for instance? You get on well? Or are there some difficulties? Or uh, in your small group, maybe, where you sort of privately think, oh, yeah, well, actually, it's a shame that they're part of the group kind of thing. And what do they think of you? And what do you think of others? 
I mean, do you think that other people are a bit sort of weak and a bit unimpressive? Well, that's what they thought of Paul, the apostle Paul. They think he's unqualified for the role. And you could be thinking, well, actually, there are some people here at BH, they're not actually qualified for the role, are they? Just in the same way they were thinking about the apostle Paul. And uh, 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 so there's all sorts of uh, little tensions and difficulties and so on going on here. The question, though, is if you think or you realize or you reckon that perhaps there's some people maybe not treating you uh, the way that Christian people should treat each other, how do we respond to them? And what do we want for them? And how do we pray for them? And so at the end of Paul's second letter, actually it's his third letter. This really should be three Corinthians. We've lost one of them, unfortunately. But at the end of what we know as two Corinthians, he writes this and it is a description. It's, it's his greeting for them. It's his signing off to the guys in Corinth. A bunch of people who really struggled with him and how difficult that was. And uh, it's quite remarkable what he wants for them and what he prays for them. He says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Even the really difficult ones. Even the kind of ringleaders. Even the awkward squad amongst them. I mean, it probably won't be the whole of the church in Corinth, will it? It never is the case when there are some people who are you're struggling a bit. You know. Oh, and by the way, please don't think that I'm standing up here thinking, yeah, and there are two or three people over there who don't think I'm up to it, that kind of stuff. I'm not thinking that at all, okay? And as a church, I'm not saying we're divided. Because I don't think we are. I think, generally speaking, we are very, uh, uh, very united as God's people here. We need to remember and see that. But actually, this is the context of what is going on here. And we want to stay together. And we want to remain united. Uh, and uh, I hope you'll continue uh, your amazing love and support of me and Anna and so on in our, uh, in our time here as well. Um, uh, so how do we... Um, so, so he talks here about uh, all. And he wishes and he prays for these things for all the people there. And what does he pray for? Three things. If you're here this morning, very clear from Stephen. Grace, love, and fellowship. Trinitarian, the only place in the New Testament where uh, the Trinity isn't such a kind of a greeting or a blessing or a prayer in this kind of way. And, uh, and you may think, well, of course, when we think of the Trinity, we think Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Here they've got uh, Son, Father, Holy Spirit. Doesn't matter. It's okay. Don't worry about it. It's just that in the early church, they would obviously think of Jesus first because some of them have actually met him. So don't worry about the order. Let's look, first of all, at grace. Grace. He prays for grace for the guys there. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or grace from and through our Lord Jesus Christ. God's riches for the church, for the people, for the awkward squad in Corinth. God's riches, completely undeserved, overwhelmingly generous, from a God who is uh, astonishingly committed to our well-being. And that's what he prays for us. That's what he prays for others there in Corinth, uh, especially the difficult ones. Now, it's explained more in uh, just a bit earlier in 2 Corinthians, in uh, chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That is the grace of Jesus, becoming poor, being emptied, 
so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus being cursed on a cross so that we might be uh, become rich beyond all measure in heaven. And that's, that's the Sunday school definition, isn't it? God's riches at Christ's expense. Someone this morning uh, asked Anna, my wife, uh, what grace was, and uh, uh, Anna used that definition to help explain it to them. But it's wonderful, isn't it? John Stock, great Christian leader of the last century, said, grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. And Philip Yancey, in the, uh, uh, oh, some little while ago now, probably 20 years ago now, there was, a, there was a little spell when every Christian church in the country seemed to be thinking about grace, and Philip Yancey had written a book about it. And in the book, he said this, grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And grace means... There is nothing we can do to make God love us less. Isn't that comforting? I was uh, thinking and, and uh, reading about grace and I came across uh, uh, this. It's, um, it's not here, but it was uh, uh, a large and well-known church. Uh, in, uh, and they had, they were, it's like us. They had three churches in their parish and they had a... Well, not here though. Uh, and they had a joint service. And... Um, uh, and there were a whole variety of people because uh, one of the other churches in the parish especially um, had, some, had seen some ex- extraordinary and wonderful conversions in quite a difficult part of town. And on, the one, uh, on that occasion, the pastor saw uh, a former burglar kneeling at the communion rail beside a, a, a high court judge, side by side. And, uh, uh, and the burglar uh, had actually been sent to jail by that judge to serve a seven-year term for uh, his repeated crimes. And after his release, he'd been converted, and here they were in church together and receiving communion together. Then after the service, the judge was uh, uh, talking to the, uh, the minister at the end of the service, and, uh, uh, and, and he said to him, did you notice who was kneeling beside me at the communion rail this morning? And uh, uh, what a miracle of grace. And uh, the minister nodded uh, in, in agreement. A marvelous miracle of grace indeed. Um, and then the judge said, but who are you thinking about? And, and the minister said, well, um, uh, well, the, the former convict, the burglar. And the high court judge said, uh, actually, I wasn't talking about him. I was thinking about myself. You're thinking of yourself, said the minister. I don't understand. Yeah, you see, the judge went on. Uh, it's not surprising that uh, our former burglar friend and Christian brother received God's grace when he left jail. He had nothing but a history of crime behind him. And when he understood Jesus could be his savior, he knew there was salvation and hope and joy for him. And he knew how much he needed that help. But look at me. I was taught from the early infancy to live as a gentleman. My word was my bond. I was to say my prayers, go to church, take communion and so on. I went to uni, obtained my degrees, was called to the bar and eventually became a judge. I was sure I was all I needed to be. Though I was, in fact, a sinner just as much as our burglar friend. Minister, it was God's grace that drew me. It was God's grace that opened my heart to receive Christ. I, said the High Court judge, and the greater miracle.
That's God's grace. God generously giving himself to us to save us. And when we pray the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, we're saying we want God to be working in people's lives, even the awkward crew. Uh, we're saying uh, we want them to understand God's free gift of salvation. That they want, we're saying that we want God to continue his work in people's lives. That he'd pour out his unmerited and undeserved grace into people's hearts. And that he'll be and do good for them. Now that can be quite hard to pray and to genuinely wish that from your heart and your mind. It can be, to, uh, without mental gymnastics, it can be quite hard to wish that for someone who thinks you're rubbish. For someone who is quite obstructive to the work of the gospel in the group that you're part of. For someone who doesn't actually like you very much. That's Paul's example. And that's an example to follow. He prays for grace. Second, he prays for love. He prays for grace and he prays for love. Verse 14 again. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. This is the love displayed by God, shown by God. And there is a link between love and grace. A guy called Campbell Morgan said, grace is love in action. And here, Paul prays for this awkward bunch of guys in Corinth, that the love of God would be with them all. Now the Bible tells us, doesn't it, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16, that God is love. He, and, that, and, and we know, don't we, actually, you may not believe it, but we know it is true that God uh, loves us more than we would ever dream possible. And whatever you've done, And whoever you are, you are more loved than you would ever, ever, ever imagine. It's extraordinary. God loves you. There's a guy called A.W. Tozer, a big uh, uh, um, American famous guy from uh, um, late 19th, early 20th century time. And uh, he wrote a book called uh, Knowledge of the Holy. And in it he said this. Uh, there's some kind of posh words here, but, but get the stuff that's easy to understand. Because uh, he says this. Because God is self-existent, his love had no beginning. Because he is eternal, his love can have no end. Because he is infinite... It has no limit because he is holy. This is a difficult bit. It is the quintessence of all spotless purity. Uh, Because he is immense, his love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea. And he loves you and me. And when we need, when we pray for others, and when we think and we pray for uh, uh, other folks in the church here, and perhaps especially those who find us a bit difficult or vice versa, we need to pray that they would get God's love, that they would recognize, they would see, they would understand, they would grasp, they would embrace God's love and become more loving people. And of course that changes us. I mean, on a purely human level, when we know that someone loves us, you kind of, 
you stand up straight, don't you? You kind of feel about 10 feet tall and you weigh much less than you used to weigh because you're kind of floating on a cloud and so on. Well, God loves you more intensely, more profoundly, more deeply, more knowingly from before time began and through to after time will finish. And we need to pray that other folks here would actually understand and see and grasp the love of God for themselves. It will also mean, for instance, that if we really grasp that God loves us, it will change our behavior. So someone wrote this. Is it true that God loves us? If so, why do I ever grumble? And why do I ever show content and resentment at the circumstances in which God has placed me? Why am I ever distrustful or fearful? Why do I ever allow myself to grow cool, formal and half-hearted in the service of God who loves me so much? Why do I ever allow my loyalties to be divided so that God has not all my heart? There's a church... As we love God more and more and more, it will show in our lives because we will love others more. We'll be better at putting others first. We'll be better at, uh, for instance, perhaps each day doing one positively loving thing for someone else. You know, you go into Waitrose, Asda, Little, wherever you happen to go, and uh, just knock on your neighbour's door. So I'm just going down the road, can I get you something? Why do we do that? It's so easy, isn't it? Or you're at Waitrose, Asda, Little, or whatever, and you're standing by a little old lady, and she's viewing the top shelf in a Nescafe there, and uh, don't wait to be asked. Sorry, this is... Especially for tall people, isn't it? But, uh, <laughs> um, but don't wait to be asked. Just say, can I get, can I get you something there? Love people. Go out of our way. And if we love God, change our lives. And we will love God when we understand and see how much God loves us. And it will be seen by other people. So pray for, pray for one another. Pray for grace. Pray for love. And then the third thing here is, uh, uh, Pray about this fellowship. This is the fellowship that is achieved, brought about by the Holy Spirit working amongst us. Actually, fellowship could could be translated participation or joining in. So you could say that uh, Paul is praying here, uh, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the joining in of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, actually, I think that fits in really well from the situation in Corinth. Because there's a bunch of people there saying, Paul, he's not up to much, is he? Perhaps we won't really get, perhaps we really won't join in with what he's on about. Because we don't really trust him. We don't think he's actually really someone who God is speaking through. And uh, so he's praying here that those in Corinth who stand on the sidelines and criticize, uh, and say, well, we're not really quite sure that Paul's genuine, you know, um, that uh, we're not really quite sure that Christ is really speaking through him. He doesn't really seem to be terribly spiritual. Well, he's praying that they would join in now because of spirits that work in their lives. 
And, uh, uh, and we need to pray that those who we find difficult, the people we don't quite see eye to eye with, would join in now. Would join in in 2019. Would join in with a small group. Would join in at feast and at KO. Would join in with serving. And perhaps at the night shelter as we join in with the team at the night shelter making dinner. Join in with the overnight crew staying there to look after the guys and the girls who will be staying. Join in with those who turn up at six in the morning to make breakfast. Join in with small groups together on Wednesday and so on. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. If it were possible to put the Holy Spirit into a textbook of pharmacology, he used to be a doctor, okay, um, I would put him under the stimulants section, for that is where he belongs. He really does stimulate. He stimulates our every faculty, the mind, the intellect, the heart, and the will. Well, let's pray that the Holy Spirit would stimulate us. Stimulate us in 2019 to join in with what's happening here at BH. And as we do so, we'll find that we will be glued together by the working of the Holy Spirit to become God's people together, committed to one another, loving one another, finding genuine joy in being together and serving together and so on. Paul is praying for unity as he prays for the church in Corinth. And so as we pray the grace for each other, we're praying for a genuine unity within this church family, for instance. Not that we're disunited now, I don't believe we are. But the devil would love us to be. The devil would love to do anything he can to drive wedges between us and to separate us one from another. So when we're praying the grace, we're actually praying directly against what the devil would love to do amongst us. He would love to do anything to destroy a good church. So let's pray for the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The fellowship achieved, grown, developed, kept going by the Holy Spirit. That we would stick together in bad times as well as in good. And while we're praying for that, um, it would be wise too, wouldn't it, to ask if there's anything in our lives which hinders that fellowship. Anything we put on social media which hinders that fellowship? Any attitudes, any gossiping, any criticizing? Anything which could hinder the fellowship which is achieved, grown, brought about, maintained and sustained by the Holy Spirit. Well, uh, this is a prayer that we can pray lots of times. I want to pray it now. Catherine, are we going to pray it later on at the end? We'll do it twice. Sounds good to me. So, uh, but I'm going to, uh, going to suggest we pause just for a moment or two. Actually, let's do this. Uh, Matt and Steph, you're going to come and lead the prayers, aren't we? So uh, uh, let's have just a few moments uh, and then we'll get the, get the cards out. Ho- hopefully you have one. And uh, uh, actually, we've got one here, haven't we? Here we go. There's the verse. So uh, I'm going to suggest we're just quiet for a moment. We think about what we've heard. And then as Matt and Steph come in to lead the prayers, uh, they'll lead us in this prayer first.